0: Speaking of racism, there is a lot of confusion around the definition of racism. And I think we can all agree that if we're going to have conversations about race and racism in this country, we should have a basic understanding and agreement on what the definition of racism is. Five months ago, I started this podcast under a different name, and I incorrectly defined racism in a hurry to get on to another part of the topic, which was implicit bias. And it's actually one of my shows that I'm not going to pull over to this platform. So I want to put that out there, and you'll hear the story of it here in a few minutes when I bring on my friend Cedric. But in the meantime, what I wanted to do was pull up and read the definitions of racism from a dictionary. When I did this online and I was thinking through, well, you know, anybody can write this and people are going to think that, you know, maybe this is the more modern definition. I remembered that I have a dictionary on my shelf from a thrift store from years ago. So I ran to it. I opened it up. It's copyright 1966. I got it out and I'm going to read that definition for you here. So, according to my 1966 dictionary, racism is a belief that people differ significantly and systematically, as in ability, intellect, etc., because of racial differences. It is a belief in or advocacy of the superiority or inferiority of a particular group on the basis of supposed racial differences. All right, so that's from 1966 today's dictionary. It is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. Or the belief that all members of each race possesses characteristics or abilities specific to that race, especially so as to distinguish it as inferior or superior to another race or races. Now the key here is based on the belief that one's own race is superior. In today's episode, I'm joined by my friend Cedric Lundy from Token Confessions. Those of you who haven't heard him or know him, go check out his podcast. Um, But a friend of mine sent me a clip from somebody named Joe Rogan, who some of you may know because I see him shared on social media and so on. But it's this 20-minute clip where he and his guest talk about racism And they talk about white privilege and concepts like this. And when I watched it, I was just gobsmacked by how huge an audience these guys have and how they didn't even understand the definitions. But they were speaking on them and they were speaking with, you know, a lot of passion and opinion. And so I felt like it would be good for Cedric and I to come on and dissect it a little bit and talk about it so that we can all have a better understanding of what racism is and what it isn't and the differences between racism, prejudice, bigotry, and all of those things. Because at this point, it's just one big confused terminology. You're listening to Speaking of Racism, the podcast dedicated to frank, honest, and respectful discussions about race and racism in the U.S. I'm your host, Jen Kinney. Pull up a chair and let's talk. Special thanks to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know, featuring Jay Lang. Hello, Cedric. Good
1: afternoon, Jen.
0: Thanks for coming on the show again.
1: Absolutely.
0: So the reason Cedric and I are hopping on here to chat briefly is to address a video that I was sent by a friend and that I've actually seen shared in social media recently. So this guy...
1: Uh, Is it Joe Rogan?
0: Joe Rogan. So I didn't even know who this was. I actually did a little Wikipedia search to find out because he looked familiar. Apparently, he's a comedian. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got some YouTube channel and I like I don't even know what this clip was from, but I have received multiple clips of his recently and I've seen them on social media. One in particular that I actually sent on to Cedric to get his opinion on was this 20-minute clip or so where they were talking about racism and definitions of racism. I want to address this because I think it's important.
1: This is just yet again reinforcing to me how being called or accused of being a racist is really become like the white equivalent of the N-word.
0: Yes, I would agree. And actually, let's let's start off with talking about the definition of racism. And before I have you do that, um, one of the things that kind of surprised me, because this Joe guy, he's probably my age. I'm 41. I'm not entirely sure. But he seemed shocked to hear the definition of racism. And he also seemed to imply, actually he did imply, that the definition of racism is being changed. And so they talked about this whole racism is prejudice plus power and lamented almost that this was an incorrect definition of racism. Now, I'm 41, and I remember learning this definition, I'm not kidding, in high school. So this would be in the 90s. This isn't some new thing. And then you know, he was also kind of going, Oh, how, how can they teach this to children? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's talking to a university professor. So right. one children in university are not children in this sense, right? right. We're both parents of actual children, right. you know, um, minor eight, I think yours is close as well. Yep. So, so let's talk about just this idea of the definition of racism, but then Cedric, are people changing the definition of racism on us? Is this unfair?
1: No, people aren't changing the definition of racism. And it's totally fair because a disservice has been done to people because they haven't gotten the correct definition or incomplete definition of racism. Because our definition or working definition of racism has tended to be primarily about bigots, it's primarily about people. Who hate people because they are a different skin color. Whereas racism is, is more complex than that. And so with mm-hmm. that just very over, you know, not even over simplistic, but inaccurate depiction of what racism is, then you can have phenomena like reverse racism, where then white people become the, 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 the quote unquote victims of racism as well. And then the other thing that doesn't help is that because our definition of racism generally lies with a picture of a bigot, then racism ultimately comes down to who is a good person and who is a bad person. So if you're racist, that means you're bad. You're irredeemable. There is nothing about you that we should look upon and say, you know, this person has some redeeming or good qualities. Like they're just, they're basically considered trash. And the reality is, is if you really understand what racism is and how it works, then you recognize that there's actually more good people who are racist than there are bigots who are racist.
0: Right. So let's talk about so with the definition of racism, I, I actually started working on a podcast mm-hmm. with this in mind yesterday. And you and Sanchez and the three part series you guys did on token confessions yeah. was precisely what motivated me to uh, revisit this and yeah. and unpack it and define it. Because I feel like understanding the actual definition of racism is Absolutely essential in this conversation, because if we can't agree on this definition, it makes it very difficult to go further, um, at least with people who were trying to engage and get thinking about this and maybe even getting more actively involved in anti-racism work. So, so with racism, and this was kind of the key for me, because what I did on, on my old podcast is I got on and what I was really trying to do was say, I want to talk about implicit bias as this extension of racism. And I wasn't really parsing out like there's prejudice, there's racism, there's bigotry, there are all of these, these elements and aspects to this. So I overly simplified. And what I started out saying right in the beginning was Racism in a basic definition is hatred against people based on their skin color, which absolutely supports the idea of reverse racism and all of this. And I didn't even realize it at the time, even though I didn't agree with or believe that reverse racism existed because I understand the component of prejudice plus power. But when you said that racism is... The belief, this inherent belief in superiority or inferiority, that is what racism is. And so when people are talking about racism like Joe Rogan and his guest were talking about it, they were doing it incorrectly because what they're talking about is, like you're saying, bigotry. They're talking Mm -hmm. about prejudice. This idea that academia essentially is recreating the definition is really challenging.
1: Right. Well, and what doesn't help is that in academia, I would contend that they're teaching people about racism in the wrong discipline. They're teaching young people and students about racism in these these disciplines that are more uh, social psychology or sociology. They're more, they can be deemed things that are more abstract. They don't quite hold the, same concrete significance and by keeping them steeped in the disciplines of sociology or psychology or social psychology whatever and not being taught in history it's totally detached from this long history of how very practically racism has worked and operated in the real world it it, it ends up only existing in the abstract
0: yes so then what you're saying is you see and you're able to identify a breakdown even within academia and how they're missing it.
1: Right. Right because you know we're 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 talking about things like white privilege, we're talking about white fragility, we're talking about uh implicit racial bias, which are all true, which are all need to be talked about. But if you detach mm-hmm. them from the history of race and racism, then they just become these abstract things that I don't necessarily have to identify with. I can either agree or disagree whether or not they're true or really truly hold any weight, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. if it's talked about in history, then it becomes this thing where I have to actually deny things that really did happen and that there's like a wealth of documentation that these things actually happened.
0: Well, to deny that they happened, but then also the, I think the, the tricky thing is to connect people to how that still affects us today and how yeah, right. that does impact people in their implicit bias. I've been getting into conversations a lot more with people lately as a result right. of the podcast. You know, people are curious and so they're asking, well, right. so what, what is all this stuff people are talking about with? White fragility. And that was another thing that Joe Rogan spoke about. And it's so frustrating to me when people speak about things that they don't actually understand because they do a lot more damage. And so, like, for this guy, I'm looking at his YouTube video and he has almost 200,000 views of this clip alone. Right, and he's talking about things like white fragility and racism, and he's not even coming at it from the proper definition. So, like when he talked about white privilege, only exists if there's racism.
1: Yeah, it was so nonsensical at that point. It's just like, dude. So he he said you can't have white privilege if you're not racist, right? And I'm just sitting there thinking. Again, and, and this is where I think people have found, you know, shameless self-plug, the very first episode of Tolkien Confessions where Sanchez and I talked about white privilege. They found it so helpful because right. we weren't being white privilege from a standpoint of, hey, listen, white people, you need to apologize and feel guilty for the fact that you have these privileges because you have been born into a society that has been shaped for... Uh, 500 years by white supremacy, by colonialism, yeah. you know, European colonial and imperialism that created this thing called race, the social construct called race in order to justify the subjugation and extermination of brown, uh, black, and red people. One of the things that I've been really thinking about is how, in a lot of ways, racism really isn't the problem. Like, it's a problem, but it's not the problem. Because racism, at the end of the day, is a byproduct of the real problem, which is white supremacy. It's easier to talk about racism and try to start there, then we eventually hit these walls where you have people who are good intention, well-meaning people, who, but who ultimately, again, Racist has become the new N-word. As soon as you call them a racist or call someone they know a racist, someone they think of as being a good natured, you know, quality character person, a, a racist, or having done something that is racist, they shut down and they get super defensive. Because mm-hmm. again, we have made the caricature of racists are clansmen and people who shout racial epithets and people who, who hate other people. Of a different race, right? It's not people, it, it, it's totally detached from the idea of, or th- this, this, this belief that was put out there to, again, justify the, the subjugation of, uh, West African slaves and the genocide and land theft of Native Americans. Uh, it was, it was by, they justified it by saying, well, these people are inherently inferior. We are, and we are inherently superior. You know, they got the whole eugenics train going to study right. the differences of people in particular, you know, the, the size of the, of the skull, the size and shape of the skull. They went to great right lengths to make all these, these, um, associations with different parts of the skull and the shape of the skull to indicate, uh, not only intelligence, but beauty. Uh, but you know, and, and all these other different things that you cannot, and we've, we've been able to figure that out, debunk it completely with the Human Genome Project. Uh, this right. notion that by measuring someone's, you know, skull, um, and looking at their race, you can know certain things about them. And that certain people are naturally better or more superior at some things or most things and other people are inferior.
0: Well, and let's so. speak to like historically speaking, even when we're talking about this, history can be kind of a a daunting idea to somebody who doesn't have the time or doesn't have the inclination or doesn't know where to go. And so a lot of people will think like, even within the study of eugenics, some might argue, well, do we still deal with or have consequences from that? And you and I would argue absolutely. But if you look even at like the bell curve, that was 1994 when that book came out.
1: But, But see, here's the thing about eugenics Eugenics didn't start in the 20th century. It started back in the 1600s.
0: What I was learning about was like the establishment of medicine in the United States and the establishment of like the American Medical Association and the psychology associations and the way that they actually used eugenics to argue for and approach treatment of patients that still lingers to this day.
1: Yeah, and the fact that a lot of times Black people were used as guinea pigs. Right. Um, Leading all the way up to the the Tuskegee experiment. Right. Which was like, you know, you can go on HBO right now and watch the movie adaptation or depiction of those events. You know, there's that one doctor in New York who they recently went ahead and took down his statue because he was doing all kinds of practices on, um, on women experiments on women where he was, um, not giving any kind of, uh, sedative or painkiller or anything like that to the black women that he was experimenting on because of this assumption that they were basically had a higher pain threshold.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm in conversations with people constantly, and I'm still really fighting to communicate that these things still are a part of the psychology within academia or within medicine to this day, because you're talking about influences that, okay, maybe this was 60 years ago, maybe this was 100, maybe it was 200 years ago, but how was it built in and woven into the system if we don't learn about this? How do we unravel it?
1: Right. Because to your point, nowadays we have all these studies and statistics that are showing that the uh, mortality rate amongst Black women in pregnancy is way, Mm -hmm. way higher. And it's across socioeconomic. It's not just for Black women who are not getting Mm -hmm. adequate treatment while they're pregnant and, and dying as a result of childbirth. Like, it's even middle-class, upper-middle-class black women. Like, it's it's crazy. They did a podcast on it um, on um, Code Switch.
0: Back to Joe Rogan's show and mm-hmm. what they were saying. Um, I mean, there are so many directions we could go on it. But one of the things that kind of confused me is they acknowledged the... Privilege of men. So he was willing on some level, with the help of his guest, to acknowledge the privilege of men. And it was interesting to me because his guest said, Hey, the other day, you know, we got to go to an award ceremony, we're in a hotel. Uh Some drunk guy comes knocking on the door at two o'clock in the morning, and I open the door to tell him, we're not your place. And he then told the story of how his wife said, there is no way in a million years I could have done that as a woman. And she was telling him, that is a really profound example of like your privilege that you have as a man. Now, why aren't they able to extrapolate this with people of color?
1: I would say, and my fault was, if I'm being you know transparent, like I don't have any black friends to tell them about their experiences, and mm-hmm. if they do have black friends who have these experiences and share it with them, then they dismiss it. I mean, I've said it before on your podcast, a big part of the black experience is not being trusted to interpret your own experiences. Yeah. And I think a lot of it again comes back to that need to defend themselves against the idea or the thought or even the whiff and hint that they themselves might be racist.
0: You mentioned that it proved the point to you that yeah. it proximity is key. So talk about oh, that a little bit.
1: Huge. Well, it's probably not hard for him to <laughs> relent when it came to male privilege you know, in comparison to women, because he probably has some women in his life that he really, truly values, right? That there's women that he really wants to protect, namely, possibly a wife or a daughter. I, I constantly get all these pop culture references that come to my mind. There's like a Kanye West lyric from way back when as basically talking about, yeah, we were all about, you know, these girls and they their figure, and then we had daughters and it made us start rethinking all that, right? It's like all of a sudden we start getting real protective when it's our daughters. And so, yeah, you have guys who can acknowledge, you know, what women go through because they're able to be a little more honest about, yeah, if it wasn't my sister, if it wasn't my mother, Right. I might be trying to see if I have a chance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it also goes to this narrative that we have of guys. We have this really right. toxic narrative of guys, that guys even buy into. And yeah, so, I was really like,
0: surprised if, by that.
1: But like what happens when you actually have guys who say, well, that might be the narrative of guys, but I don't have to. I don't have to use it as an excuse. I don't have to be that kind of guy. I can train myself not to be that kind of guy. I have a sister and I have a mother. But then when it comes to, again, race, to me, again, like you said, it it signals that they don't have black people within close proximity of them that they really and truly care about that they're going to take seriously when they say, hey, there's certain things that you're able to do that I'm not able to do, or if I do them, the response to me is going to be uh, a lot different, possibly even hostile.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing. So it's like we have proximity and the importance of proximity and the importance of relationships, but then there's that catch 22 of within the context of relationships, will people of color be believed? Are you believed to be the, tellers of your stories and your experiences without being met with that doubting look or that challenge or that question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like then we go through this whole mental gymnastics about what do we actually reveal and share? Right. (laughs) So like here's, here's one just from last week. Right. So I was at an event. I was actually at two events, um, last weekend where I saw a lot of people that I haven't seen in quite a while. And these were in spaces where I, I literally was the only black person there. Like well over a hundred people at both events. And at both events, I was literally the only person of color there. Now, again, I've, I've had a history of community with uh, this this circle or this community of people. And so a lot of people were really happy to see me because they haven't seen me in a while and catching up. And actually the question they're going to ask is, oh, so what are you up to these days? <laughs> and I'm doing this mental, you, you, you already know where this is going. Cause, cause oh, yeah. I'm just laughing, right? I'm doing right. this mental gymnastics in my head. Of who do I actually share with them that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm in this interim role for this peer church organization? I'm roasting coffee, and I started a podcast. Yeah. Because then, what's the question? <laughs> what's your podcast right. about? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm oh, yeah. Have, of like, who do I actually share with that I'm doing a podcast? token confessions on race (laughs) and my experience as the token black guy, like my experiences with you and the people of this community. (laughs) And how
0: did that go? I'm so curious.
1: Um, I could probably count on one hand, the number of people that I actually shared that with. Oh, but here's the thing people that already know about it they because it was in a big it's like social gathering very very uh casual not not formal so uh, there's all these tables with food and everybody's you know bumping anybody everybody shoulder shoulder chit chat people who know about it and um have 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 listened to it like almost it was almost like they lowered their voice like, hey, by the way, I'm really enjoying your work right now. I'm really enjoying your podcasts or your posts. But it wouldn't be like this conversation that we would have that would be really within earshot of other people and other people could hear and be like, oh, what's that you're talking about? Oh, his podcast. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, and, and to, again, just to be honest, not, it's not pointing the finger at the folks in that room, in that space to say that they're, they're bad people or anything like that. But like knowing so often that I'm not necessarily going to be believed or that I'm going to be questioned, right? Uh I'm really careful about who I bring that up with because I just do not want to go through the exhaustive process of not being believed, taken seriously or discounted. In that situation, um talk with 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 people who I'm extremely confident are just gonna be like, wow, that's really fascinating or that's really interesting, or tell me more. Or people who are like, I know they would really enjoy listening to that and get a lot from it.
0: One of the things that Rogan said that I want to address, you know, he was talking about how he was concerned that this what he calls redefining of racism, makes it impossible now. Like he he seemed bothered by this idea that as a woman, you could say you're not capable of sexism. And as a person of color, you're not capable of racism. And they were really sort of wringing their, their hands over this idea that our poor little children in university are being taught such nonsense. And one of the gentlemen, I don't remember who used the term, it gives them like a cloak of invulnerability. And I want to speak yeah. to this. So, Cedric, do you believe that, that this idea that somebody cannot be racist or cannot be sexist or whatever it is based on wherever they are? Um, do you believe that gives people a cloak of invulnerability?
1: I, I I that was one of the most ridiculous parts of the conversation that they were having which just showed how much they really didn't understand how sexism for example works mm-hmm. again they're they're working from a basic definition so on one hand I get why they would say that mm-hmm. it's just like well sexism is that I hate other people of a, a different sex than me and and, and it's like no it's sex with a combination of power. And the general idea is, is that men rule the world. Mm. So a man can use not only just his power, but his power combined with his view of sex or women to prevent women from having position, having You know, you basically can use the power to discriminate and um, disenfranchise women from certain areas of public space. Mm -hmm. So part of the thing they're struggling with with now is that women are getting more and more into spaces that were previously reserved for men. And now they can't just have the locker room talk that they used to have.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) The reality is, is they they should have never been talking like that in the first place, even if women weren't around they don't have hold the positions of power to 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 keep men out
0: yeah yeah you know i thought it was interesting because this idea of the cloak of invulnerability i think ties in really tightly with shame and guilt and so i think this book that i've been uh reading and and other things that d'angelo has spoken about or taught on is really helpful Because, and this goes back to this concept of the good, bad binary within racism. And I always say, I am racist. It's not a matter, like, let's all stop clutching our pearls, because it makes it so difficult for us to then have the important conversations and acknowledge things. It's almost like they felt like these definitions were removing the responsibility from all people, to be good human beings to one another. And I think this is what they're missing. So just because as a woman, I can't be sexist in the true definition, I can still hate men because they're men. I'm capable of that. Nobody's saying that I'm not. And so this idea that we're not responsible as individuals for being you know like being decent human beings nobody is saying right. that and nobody is okaying that i'm not
1: right well and and i would say to use your example of a women who hate men i don't think that the women that hate men really truly hate men i would say they have a deep 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 seated mistrust and resentment of men because of how often they En- encountered toxic dangerous men who have a distorted view of women and so what appears to be hate is actually a defense mechanism. Ooh and that black people who hate white people don't hate white people just because they're white. They have a deep 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 misseated uh deep seated mistrust and resentment of white people based on their own experiences, the experience of others and the history of what whiteness has done to them or people like them as black people. And it's, it's, it's not hatred. It's really, uh, they don't, it's a, it's a defense mechanism. I'm not going to give you the opportunity to hurt or take advantage of whether you are aware of your racism or not. And so, you know, I was raised by a generation, you know, uh, those of us who were raised by, uh, as black people, who were raised by the generation of black folks who can vividly remember segregation in public spaces, they didn't teach us to hate white people, they didn't teach us to hate whitey. They taught us to not trust white people. That white people cannot be trusted. Because even the good ones, when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, they aren't gonna be there to save your ass. <laughs> and so one of the things that, you know, I I sometimes get fluff guff about is the fact that. I don't treat white people with this assumption that they can't be trusted. They gotta show me I can't trust them. Mm. But you have a lot of black folks, especially black folks who don't live in close proximity to white people, or the only white people that they have proximity to are the teachers and the police officers, right? And I mean, this is a whole another episode, but you know, oh, yeah. the school to prison pipeline is called that for a reason like then what ends up being their perception of how much they can trust other people when that's their other white people when that's their only interaction so yeah it's it's and again that's one of those things where it looks like they hate based upon just the fact that these people are white but in reality it's a defense mechanism because they've either learned from their experiences or they've been taught, or to to put it more accurately, they've been taught and then their experiences have confirmed what they've been taught is that white people can't be trusted.
0: Every time Mm -hmm. we talk about this, I come back to, the importance of proximity, the importance yep. of being in relationship with people. And when you said earlier that this man could accept what his wife said because he loves her, because she is his spouse, because they care for one another, they have proximity with one another. It, it is so, in, so essential and so key, I think, yep. to all yeah. of this. So what's the definition of white privilege?
1: I I would define white privilege as being the perks and benefits of being white in a society that has been shaped by white supremacy. There you go. So I'm not even sure how helpful that is, but I'm trying to make it succinct. I think it is. You're gonna you're gonna want examples of of what that looks like. But of course Mm -hmm. the person also has to has to somewhat subscribe to the idea of white supremacy or at least understand what white supremacy is. The problem is is you have people, unfortunately, accusing other people of white privilege who don't know what white privilege is. Right. So you have people who maybe something went their way right? And then they, oh, they're they like, oh, that's white privilege. Well, no, not necessarily. That might not have been white privilege. Mm-hmm. But it becomes this like word that becomes so popular and people think they know what it means. And, you know, even the people who are trying to promote it, use it wrongly. And so then when you have folks like you who are actually doing the work, trying to talk to somebody, you're not, you're not, um, you're being seen as representing you know, what somebody else has deemed it to be.
0: Yes. And then I have to undo a lot of that damage. And that's so on point. And I had said to my friend, you know, the problem is everybody misses it a little bit, but it's just enough that what happens is people have these really bad conversations. There's a lot of defensiveness, a lot of hurt feelings, and a lot of confusion. And so it right. is very true. And that's why I think it's so important for people who are listening, who want to have these conversations, you have to do the work and you have to be able to enter into these conversations really intentionally and be aware of the way definitions have been misused or misrepresented or even the the way it's been carried out, like abusively, in a sense, against people.
1: So that's what's like lacking with that that one video that went viral last year where it was trying to explain white privilege by had a whole bunch of kids, high schoolers supposedly oh, running yeah. a race. Right. And it said, "Well, if you had this step forward, if you had this step forward, if you had step this step forward." And it's just like this video while it's it's scratching the surface, it is so problematic and pitiful. Because, mm-hmm. like many of the things that they said, hey, if you didn't have this, then basically stay at the start line. But if you did have it, then step forward. Like I had a lot of those things that would allow me to step forward. Right. It still doesn't prevent me from getting discriminated against. And it was a lot of things that, yet again, promoted. Ever so subtly, this idea of just how the black people are just again naturally inferior—that we're we're wild, we're out of control, we're uncivilized—because there's a lot of things about like, well, did you have two parents in the home? Mm-hmm. And then shows all these black kids sitting behind. You know, while other people step up, you know, you know, I had both parents in the home, both of them worked and like my blackness still operated against me. Right. Even despite the fact that every year in elementary school, I was one of the highest performing kids academically at all advanced placement classes and at the beginning of the year, like through fifth grade, they tested me to see if I needed to be in the quote unquote special class. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Every mm. year. Right? Wow. And it, it took me a while to put it together because I started to realize that all the kids who were being tested for this with this one test, because it wasn't all of us. It was like pretty much every black kid in the school and the kids who were in the special ed class the year before.
0: Man, that's and that's just... another podcast too, right? I mean that's all right. Like, wow. Right.
1: So, like, yeah, you could run the race, win the race, and still get, like, checked to see if you know how to walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just want to make sure you can walk before we let you run. Even though <laughs> you, know, you ran just fine last, last right? year. Right. You know, it, it yo, know, God. <sighs> yeah, that video was so problematic on so many levels.
0: Well, and actually, a lot of people use that video as an example of why white privilege doesn't exist, too, because I, it was that video or a different one where it ended up a lot of the um people of color were the ones standing in the privileged positions. And mm-hmm. so it was like visually it was just it it did not work. Right. But, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day, even like there, just there seems to be a lot of confusion. And this is where I think podcasts are so helpful. And these conversations are so helpful because even within the context of um, what was it? We were I had asked you if you had any good books or opinions on the topic of uh, appropriation. Mm -hmm. So cultural appropriation and one of the things you kind of cautioned me in was there is a lot of misinformation out there and 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 i feel like that there's misinformation on all sides you know and so what do you do with that other than have conversations talk to people listen learn yeah
1: yeah, it, 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 it just gets so complicated, so complicated at times. Cause you got other people who, who are saying these things and don't actually know what they're talking about, which then that's the caricature that you and I have to undo with people. And we can't right. even represent our own learning and our own understanding. And even when we do explain what we mean, we're still at, well, what about this? What about that? And it's like, I didn't oh say God. that. I'm serious. Like, I'm not going to have a conversation with you if you're going to have me defend people I'm not riding with. Some of us understand that it's not an assessment of our character and it doesn't make us bad people. We're acknowledging that we are raised in a society that has taught us it is has programmed, hardwired us with these assumptions about people. Mm-hmm. Having those assumptions don't make you wrong, but if you Blindly let them guide you through life? That's going to be detrimental. Am I sexist? Yeah. Probably. Do I act out of it? No, because I'm self-aware so I can check myself. Right. <laughs> and fortunately, I'd like to I like to think like I've been doing it long enough that it's become second second nature that I don't have to think about it. Right. I don't have to think about how I how I view women or how I'm going to treat a woman in this in this instance, because, like, I've trained myself over a long period of time not to objectify women, not to mean not to mention the fact that, like, as our society has moved into new and deeper ways of recognizing sexism and how we objectify women, I've used that not to say whether or not I'm a good or bad person, but just to say am I guilty of doing those things? Cause I want to grow, you know, people need to do the same thing with race and people need to, Hey, they need to do the same thing with sex and gender.
0: All right. So Cedric, thank you again for coming on the show and, you know, just sharing your thoughts on this with the audience and with me. Uh, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks yeah. again for having me back.